0: Amen. Let's be seated together. Let me invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter one. If you're new with us today, we're in this season of Advent looking at four songs in Luke's Gospel that help prepare us and announce the coming of the Lord. Love the music of Christmas. I love Christmas music. Amen. Good to sing. And that song, of course, is A response to the music of the scriptures where God has his people prophetically singing. We looked last week at the song sung by the father of John the Baptist, a prophetic song over his prophetic son. Zacharias spoke of how God had raised up salvation for his people and was sending his son to be the forerunner. When that announcement came to Zacharias, the angel Gabriel, came to him and said, your wife, you two who have been waiting for a child for all these years, she's going to finally give birth. He said, he responded in unbelief, well, how can that possibly be? And of course, Gabriel reproved him and shut his mouth and he wasn't able to speak until his son was born. Well, the angel Gabriel was also sent to Nazareth to a young girl named Mary. And he told her that she was going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. She asked the same question. How can this be? How can this be? But she did not ask it in unbelief. She asked it in holy expectation. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's why the child born of you will be called the Son of God. He's come to save his people. After that great announcement, Mary said, "Be it I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me as you have spoken." And then she went and she visited with her relative Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. So. She goes into her home. There's Elizabeth with John the Baptist in her womb and in walks Mary with Christ in her womb. And that's where we pick this up in verse 39 of Luke chapter one. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So Jesus comes into the room in the womb of Mary, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. This is John's first meeting with Jesus, and he just shouts hallelujah in there. He rejoices. He's jumping up and down. That must have been a moment. Blessed is she, this is Elizabeth talking to Mary, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said or sang, here's her song, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to go to her home. And this is the gospel of the Lord. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks on this song of Mary before her aria that she sings is a wonderful overture there is this interaction between Elizabeth and Mary that we need to pay attention to. These are a young woman and an older woman, both with child, both miraculously, though in different ways, and they are God's servants and they are, we have to remember, ordinary people. That God... Is using it in extraordinary ways. I think we tend to imagine characters in the Bible sort of floating above the ground about three feet there. But they weren't. Nobody would have seen them and thought that they were particularly anything special. They were mothers, they were expectant mothers. And we all know mothers are brave and tough, they're courageous. They're hopeful, they get on with things. My great-grandmother was a hockey goalie in Canada. Oh yeah, played up into her 40s. I don't know how many teeth she died with, but I know her faith was intact. She had a fearless disposition. One time when um, uh, they had a flat tire on their car, she managed to get the, the, the wheel, uh, the tire off. She got the car up on one of the rails of a track, a railroad track that, that would uh, take the car into town and she pushed it into town to the intersection where the tire store was so it could get fixed. That's a tough lady. You say, Mary's a hockey player? No, but she could have been. So Elizabeth as well. They were brave. They were faithful. And they received God's word. And when Mary walked in with Jesus in her womb, Jesus in the waters of Mary's womb long before he was in the waters that John would baptize him in, John in Elizabeth's womb, leapt for joy. And she, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what she says in this text isn't simply her thought, her merely human response, it's the Holy Spirit directing and helping us understand what's going on here. And here we have to talk about mystery. And miracle, and we're gonna do that without apology. There are things bigger than our minds. And there are miracles that God does which transcend time and space and certainly our understanding. And you really are in this text on holy ground. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, in verse 42. And then in verse 43, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. It is incredible, isn't it? In the words of Charles Wesley, our God contracted to a span divinity made man? It's frankly incredible. It's beyond the scope of our understanding. But the scriptures clearly proclaim it, that the baby in the womb of Mary is the God who made Mary. John put it this way in his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then he goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. God has come among us, conceived in the womb of the Virgin. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the whole universe, we believe in the virgin birth of the Almighty. That the God who fashioned the universe has come to us. When God saw the cosmos and its darkness, he said, let there be light. And there was light. When God saw the darkness in us, he said, I better get down there. And he came. And how is that possible? How can we understand it? There's a great old Latin phrase, finitum non-capex infinity. Let's say that together, shall we? Oh, no, let's not. Don't worry about it. But what it means is this. The finite can't comprehend the infinite. You can't get your finite mind around certain properties or acts of God, the infinite. And this is one of those moments. You know, well, How does it happen? How does the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God the Son, how does he add humanity to his divinity so that there are two natures in one person? How does he do it? We don't know. We know why he did it. We know why. Not how. We know why. St. Augustine said it'll take an eternity to study infinity. That's why we will spend our eternity in adoration and praise of the holiness, the majesty, the wisdom, the beauty, the splendor of God who has come to be our Savior. Here's what Augustine wrote about this moment. Man's maker was made man, that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, that the fountain of life might thirst, that the light might sleep, that the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of falsehood, the teacher beaten, the foundation of the cosmos be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. How does it happen? We'll never know. But we do know why. God came among us, adding humanity to his divinity because our need was not for a teacher, but for a Savior. You and I, in our darkness, in our sin, were subject to its penalty. And God, who is loving, whoa, came to save, but can God, in His justice, simply say, Well, no, that's not important. I don't need to be concerned about any of these things. We'll just wave our hands and that'll be that. No, if God were to do that, he would be denying himself. And only man can pay the penalty for the sins we've committed. So how can God, who longs to save us, deal with the fact that we are sinful people and the penalty must be paid? He is the one who commanded the sacrifice. He's the one who set the law in place. And so God, what does he do? He becomes one of us to pay the debt we all owed, to pay the penalty that was due to us. And by his stripes, we are healed. And that is why in this moment when she says the mother of my Lord, in that moment, Elizabeth is an eminent theologian and every single one of us can join her in that work. This mystery, of course, has been something which um, has not only inspired hymns and sermons and wonder and worship, it's also been assailed by false teaching. There are heretics, they've always been around, saying that Jesus really isn't God come in the flesh. One of the earliest was a man named Arius, Arius taught that Jesus wasn't God. He was the first creation of God. He was special. He was divine, but he was a created being, like the highest of all the angels. And uh, he was causing tremendous trouble, and the church was very divided over this teaching, so they held a, a council in Nicaea to sort this all out. And Arius was propounding his views and Thankfully, a man named Athanasius was propounding the truth, and the church got the truth right. But there was another pastor bishop at that council from a a city in what we now call Turkey. He was from a city in Myra. His name, you may have heard of him, was St. Nicholas. So St. Nick, he came. And I have to tell you what happened. When he saw Arius, who was teaching falsehood, he walked up to him and he punched him right in the face. That's kind of being a stalwart for truth. That's <laughs> true, he was a, a good guy. He, uh, he, the legend of him leaving gifts begins with the fact that there were three women in his town, three daughters in his town who were gonna be sold into slavery to pay off the debts of their father and he left bags of gold in the house to pay the debt of the father so the girls would not go into slavery But he was a good theologian, and he knew when it was time for a good fight. And so as the meme says, I came to bring presents and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents. (laughs) Why is this worth a fight? It's worth a fight because if Christ is not God, he cannot be the Savior, for only God can save. And if he is not one of us, he cannot pay the penalty for only one of us can pay for the sins as our representative. But because he is both, because he is the word made flesh, because he is God in the womb of Mary, then he is the one in whom you can put your trust and be delivered And that's why Mary knows that she is the delivered deliverer. Look at verse 46. And Mary sang or said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now I hope you have the highest regard for Mary. Too often, She is gone and left unmentioned in certain circles, but the scriptures hold her out here as most blessed among women, and this is something that would be true for all time. She's the handmaiden of the Lord. She's a special instrument chosen by God. So it's right for us to think, so highly of her, but no matter how highly you think of Mary, I want you to know that Mary said she needed a Savior. And friends, if Mary needed a Savior, how much more do we? My soul magnifies the Lord, magnificat, my spirit will rejoice in God, my Savior. She was giving birth not only to our Savior, but to hers. She delivered the Deliverer. You see, back in the Garden of Eden at the fall of humankind, the Lord spoke to the deceiving serpent and said, there's a woman coming coming. And she's going to give birth to a son. And this son that she gives birth to, you're going to wound. You're going to bruise him on his heel, literally fulfilled in the nails as they go through the feet of Jesus. But he says, as you bruise him on the heel, he, serpent, will crush your head. And all through those pages of the Old Testament, through the life of Sarah, through the life of Rachel, through the life of Hannah, through the life of Bathsheba, through the life of Rahab, through all of these women was the promise, the promise that one day there was going to be a woman who gave birth to a son who would crush the serpent's head and free the human race from death and sin and there he was in Mary's womb. My spirit will rejoice in God my Savior. The poet Lucy Shaw has penned some magnificent words to describe what Mary might have felt in those moments. I won't read you the whole poem, but there's some lines I want to share with you. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. And she did. The blood and the water that flowed from Mary in the moment of Jesus' birth was echoed three decades later in the blood and the water that flowed from his side when he paid the price for you and I to have our sins forgiven, for Mary to know new birth, and for you and I to do so as well. And how do we have that? It's by faith. It's simply by faith. That's why Mary is a believer. Mary is one of us. She's part of our church. She's a believer. That's why Elizabeth says to her in the text In verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Notice the order. Blessed is she who believed that she would see the fulfillment. What comes first, the seeing or the believing? The believing comes first, then the seeing. So often people are saying, well, I'm gonna have to see it to believe it. But our senses will often mislead us. But the scriptures, the word of God, they will not mislead us. They are our God. You say, well, the scriptures are full of contradictions. All the scriptures are full of contradictions. Mostly, they contradict me. They contradict my willfulness. They contradict my pride. They contradict my sin. They confront me. And the Spirit convicts me and tells me I need a Savior. You who are waiting for all of your answers, all of the questions that you have to be satisfied before you can believe, haven't yet begun to understand what faith is. Mary did not understand everything that was about to take place, but she believed she trusted. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't have every single question answered. God does not come to us in the Bible and offer us intellectual propositions to satisfy our philosophical questions. That's not what he does. He does not offer himself as some kind of algorithm or some kind of some kind of mathematical equation that satisfies our questions. That's not what he does. He offers us himself. When Job came to God with all of his questions, why am I in so much pain? Why am I being treated this way? God comes to Job and he asks Job questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? God doesn't offer us answers for every question. Because God is not so much the subject of our study as he is the cause of our wonder. How can God become as we are to make us as he is? But that is the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the cross. It's why he came and that's why the scriptures say if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you'll be able to sing with Mary. Magnify the Lord. The Lord has done great things for me. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, it's even more than intellectual belief You can believe the right things, but that isn't real faith. That's part of faith. I'll never forget when I came to saving faith, came to Jesus. I'd been raised in the church. I'd been saying the right things, the things you believe. From day one, I was born on Sunday morning at 8.30, just in time for the early service. Haven't missed many services since, I can tell you. Said the apostles or Nicene Creed every single Sunday. If you'd have come up to me when I was five years old and said, do you believe in in the virgin birth? I'd have said, yes, I do. And then if you'd have followed up and said, what's a virgin? I'd have said, well, I don't know. And if I'd have turned to my dad and said, dad, what's a virgin? He'd have said, ask your mother. I didn't understand everything. I said the right things. But there was a moment sitting in that little Lutheran church on March 31st, 1974 where all of those lines intersected under the sovereignty of the Spirit and listening to the pastor preach, Jesus in the book became Jesus in my heart. The one Mary carried in her womb became the one who dwelled in my heart so I could sing with her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The Lord has done great things for me. My friends, in her womb, God the Son became Emmanuel, God with us on the cross. Christ became our Redeemer God for us on the throne right now. The son of Mary is Christ the King. God over us and he will come again. And until that day, we will sing with Mary. The Lord has done great things for us. And then when we are in the presence of that glory, we will join all the angels and all those who've gone before us to say about Mary's boy who hung between heaven and earth and paid the price for our sins and was buried and rose again and will come again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and blessing. So let me ask you, have you received him Is the one who Mary carried in her womb the one who lives in your heart? Have you put the full full weight of your life in his hands and just said, Jesus, I trust you. Be my savior. Forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Show me the way to follow. Give me your spirit that I may do so. A simple prayer, faith in the mighty God who is our Savior, amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand before the Lord. Lord, I pray this morning for us all that our faith will be strengthened, that like Mary... We will believe, we will be those who believe that we will see a fulfillment of what the Lord has spoken. Millennia after millennia, the people of God longed for the appearing of the Messiah and he came. We long for the return of the same and we know you will come, O Lord, and we long for that day. Until that day, give us Mary's song in our heart because Jesus lives there. And I pray, Lord, for any here today who do not yet know you, that they will come to saving faith and put the whole weight of their lives in your nail-scarred hands, which are safe and loving and secure. And now, Lord, King of kings, we raise our hearts, we raise our voices, we raise our hands. Worthy are you. We raise our song with the angels and worship you. Amen.